Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today, we're still talking about game publishers, but this time using your feedback. We have some of your follow-up questions, as well as additional thoughts and comments you've sent us in. And while we're at it, we're going to bring in some feedback on older episodes as well. But first, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the, sh- the b- b- d- d- b- Patreon friends of the show, Adam <laughs> Chris, Harrison. Did you just and buffer overflow yourself? <laughs> <laughs> this is like ninety percent of what I cut out from the Dice Tower news. It's just Chris going. And thank you to all our other patrons as well. But we don't cut anything out here, so raw. Sometimes I cut things out, but normally I don't. We've talked about it long enough that now you can't cut this out. No, I can't. No, nope, nope. I wouldn't dare cut that out. That's that's um that's just podcast gold right there. So, how was your guys' weekend? Mine was good. Oh, mine was long. (laughs) (laughs) Spencer went deer hunting, and um, don't worry, everyone out there, he didn't actually manage to kill anything. So he failed. He failed at deer hunting. Baby um, deer. <laughs> uh, he said he actually saw a baby deer and two does, but that's not, you know, what you hunt for. You hunt for bucks. So yeah. they were not out and about. But that meant I was alone with player three a weekend. That sounds fun. Yeah. Everyone loves being with a toddler <laughs> for like, you know, 36 hours on nonstop. Uh I'm always sad when my daycare closes on the weekends. (laughs) Not because I don't like hanging out with him, but because I know he has more fun with a bunch of other kids and full-time people to shuffle him about and endless amounts of toys and learning and all kinds of things. Yeah, it's true. I watch my sister's kid, too, sometimes. And now, whenever the dog barks, he asks if it's eat. He's like, Eve, Eve. And, like, says my (laughs) nephew's name, too. And he's, like, always looking for them. And he's, like, he just has way more fun when there's more kids around. Yeah. Yep. Now, it's hard. Like, I, we're definitely going to have another one. And, you know, Sydney's, like, well, I don't know. Maybe we should just have the one. And I'm, like, well, if you just have one, it's a lot of work because you have to entertain them for the rest of their life. All the time. Yeah. If they have siblings... Then, yes, it might be a little harder at the beginning, but eventually they start to be able to entertain each other, mm-hmm. which leads to its own I think thing, I eventually but... learned how to entertain myself. Yeah, but you were 33 well, at the time. It takes a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> and besides, I think YouTube and video games and TV goes a long way nowadays. It yeah, does. but then you're like, you know, the mom who's like, oh, no, how much screen time is my kid getting? And Let me tell you, when you have uh, two kids, they'll probably still be staring at their separate iPhones. Maybe. No, I'm too cheap to get my kid phones. <laughs> well, iPods. They'll be, Up until they'll be fighting over one older. iPhone. Yeah. They'll be fighting over the iPad Chris got me as a wedding gift. Because it'll still only play, like, old YouTube videos that have already been downloaded or something. Yeah. It's already there. It doesn't update yeah. anymore. <laughs> you need a new iPod. Uh, so, Fletcher, what did you do? Um, I hung out with some friends, and that's about it. I went to Indianapolis, went to a vault tour, um, sat next to a listener, Doug, while he was playing our friend Doug. So it was a battle of the Dugs. Um Listener Doug lost, so now he's Mike Doug. Or Doug Mike. I don't know. He lost rights to his name for the day. But um, but that was a lot of fun. I ended up doing 3-3 in the Vault Tour. And day two, though, was a whole lot more fun. But I'm going to save that story until one of our questions. Because that is pertinent down there. Now, feedback. We have... We're not doing, like, designated feedback episodes anymore. But this one, I just had enough where I'm like, all right, we just need to do this all at once. This got a lot of, like, a sudden flood of feedback. Yeah. These topics. Yep. And I want to uh, shout out to Adrian. Adrian has been posting, uh, like, starting our feedback threads on BGG, which we are terrible at participating in. Very bad. We should participate in them. However, real life and kids and 
time being what it is and two podcasts and really just overextending everything. But I do read everything. So I grabbed a lot of stuff from the BGG forums. Um, I like when there's discussions inside those forums. That's that's cool stuff too. And of course, email. A lot of these are from emails. So yes, send us your feedback. We don't ignore you. We may not use every single thing, but we're not ignoring you because we really, the reason we do it is because we like knowing that people are listening. So that's for us. Now, when we first started doing what (laughs) the forums is basically what you're saying it's it's for us not for you it is it really is it's for our own ego when we first started doing this uh i think the first probably dozen episodes we were hovering around when we got to 50 listeners i'm like wow 50 people are listening to us (laughs) and then when we hit 100 i'm like wow we've made it so we have a decent number more than that now but it's still like it always surprises me that anyone listens to us at all. So it's it's cool to meet people in the random. Um, like I say Doug was sitting next to me at, at the vault tour, and he only he recognized me from my voice alone. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. That's awesome. So hi, Doug. All right, should we get into some of this feedback? Let's do Great. it. All right, we're not just going to read, and we're going to we're going to discuss as we go through. So um, it's just not going to be us reading poorly. But I think. Our first reading poorly will be. Let's have you, Fletcher. You read poorly. Do you want I don't know if that's a statement or a question. <laughs> what, Ralph or Ben or who? Yeah, go ahead and read Ralph on Fantasy Flight Games. Okay. <clears throat> I just listened to your episode on Fantasy Flight Games. I like the idea of exploring that, exploring the games of of a specific company. I think it's because of your diverse perspective on games. Do any of you like war games? I think they're a little too much for me. But I'm intrigued by Undaunted Normandy by Offspray Games. Have you ever played it? So, Kitty, have you... I gave this one to you and Spencer, I don't know, last month. Um, I'm assuming you haven't got a chance to play it? We have not gotten it to the table yet. It looks really good, and I've liked a lot of other games from Osprey Games. They're a publisher where if I'm at a convention and they have a booth, I go check it out. Um, I think Odin's Ravens is from Osprey Games, uh, and that's a big favorite of ours. There's another one, too, that I really enjoyed. but It's that solo one where you're laying the tiles and you're trying to tell a story. Shaharazad? Yeah. Is that one Osprey Games, too? It looks like an Osprey game. <laughs> it might be. I'm not sure. Um, but that might be but it, and, yeah. But they're, yeah, they're Fletch- both good games. I've liked them. Um, Spencer is more of a fan of war games than I am, so I'll have to get his opinion on this. And I'm more the person who picks the games we play. So, <laughs> <laughs> it, But yeah, it's in Fletcher, our play I'm, pile. I'm certain that you have not played this, right? I have not played this, no. Have you even heard of this? I have not heard of this game. So, and it really depends, Ralph, on what you mean by war games. So, there's a lot of I was thinking about that, too. What is is a war game? Yeah. Well, what is a war game to you? Uh, man, I don't know. Like, to me, like a classic war, classic war games are like Risk or Axes and Allies or... I mean, those two come to mind right away. But I would also say, like, maybe even, I don't know, like, Blood Rage? Is that a Blood war Rage. game? I um, mean, it's like an engine-building game, but... Yeah. But so is, so is like, Risk, if you think about it. It's an engine-building game. I would say that if we're going to go Eric Lang or um, Cool Mini or not, that um, Rising Sun would be more of a war game than Blood Rage would be. Blood Rage has this theme of Vikings battling, but Rising Sun actually has this moving across the map, you know, combat in territories. I guess Blood Rage is sort of like that too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it just doesn't feel like a war game to me. It's like, I just know it if I, when I know it. And that goes back to Undaunted Normandy. That doesn't actually feel like a war game to me either, even though it has like the, I think it's World War II theme to it. And because the way that um, Undaunted works is it's essentially a deck building game. At the beginning of the game, there's there's two sides and you're going to create a 
essentially a market of cards that you will draft from. And then you have your draw deck. Your draw deck allows you to move tokens around on a map. But the map is relatively small. The tokens are just little um, square or uh, round cardboard tokens. And so it's really more of a deck building game with a map and movement than it is a war game. It's just set in that war game genre or theme or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, so... I think there's kind of two different ways to define war games. And one of them, I think, boils down mostly to territory control, which I think is the the component that Fletcher was trying to, the thread that all those games yeah. have kind of in common, is yep. that there's an territory element of territory control. control. Yeah. Yep. And then there's a war-themed game, which can be any kind of game, but you slap some World War Two, World War One. Civil War, I don't know, 1812, name a war, you can put some propaganda on it. And, you know, know, Spencer has this idea for a game that he wants to create, which is a trick-taking World War I-themed game. And Yep. Which is clearly not a war game, but it is themed to a war. Yeah. Yeah. I will say there's one other kind of war game, because you talk about territory control or territory... um, you also have miniature destruction, right? You don't have to have territories. You, you can just be moving a miniature. It feels yeah. very similar. Yeah. The concept is essentially the same. You're going around armies clashing type of thing. So do we like war games? I know that Kitty likes a specific war game, if you can call it such. <laughs> Are we talking about Risk? I'm talking about Risk. I mean, I think most of my love for Risk is nostalgia-based now, um, but I I have a soft spot for it. It was, like, the first game that I really got into, like, seriously playing. So, got, got to keep that. It's not a great that. game. It's... <laughs> it is... You have a soft spot for it, that's I fine. do. It's not a yeah. great game. It's not a great game. I mean, modern. I shouldn't have a soft spot for it because my memories of it are just playing it with my sister and my cousin and then both eliminating me and ganging up on me because I was the youngest and getting eliminated first and going and reading a book by myself while they kept playing. Yep, but you still wanted to go back. I still played every time. <laughs> yep. So what about you, Fletcher? What's your war game of choice? Or do you have I mean, any? I don't know if I have one, really. War? <laughs> that is not a game. Uh, it is a game. If the war mind is a game, itself. war is a game. Uh, no, because the war, war, you do not make any decisions. It's still a game. You make no decisions. All right, fine. That is your favorite war game: flipping cards. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, it, it, I guess it just depends on like how you want to classify. Because I would say like Blood Rage is a is a good war game. All right, I give it to you. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I say, all these things are kind of, it's hard to define those, right? Um, for me, if I'm thinking war game, I guess I'm not really, I'm not into any kind of historical world, historical war themed games. I'll play them, but nothing draws me towards that. Um, and I don't, it's not like a principle's like, uh, gamifying war, you shouldn't do that. It's like, that's not it. It's just, I'm not interested in that aspect of history. What about space war games? I'm all for that. <laughs> like Armada stuff and like sci-fi battles and stuff like that. Yeah. That's all cool. Like, I think a lot of Star Wars games feel like war games, but, you know, they're Star Wars yeah. themed. So now they're not war games. They're Star Wars games. It's like. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, like, Un- Undaunted is a scenario based a deck building game with a war theme with maps. And I mean, you're going around trying to destroy the other person's army, but well, troops, there's just, it's a small number of units. But, um, but if you really want a war game, that is my favorite. It's star Wars rebellion, which is a two player game where fleet versus fleet. And you know, you're basically in war with each other. That it's like a very grown up battleship. It's a very grown up battleship. One person's hiding. The other person's trying to find them. It's, it's actually kind of cool. So, um, that is a long, long way to like long winded <laughs> way of answering that question. Yeah, and that's, that's a super long way for us go. to say none of us played this game. Sorry. 
<laughs> I really, I own it. I want to play it. Um, I think what I'm going to have to do is actually play it with Fletcher, not Fletcher, Spencer. Um, <laughs> I rarely do that on the podcast. <laughs> but um, I think I need to play it with Spencer. Problem is, the next time I'm going to see you guys, we're going to be playing Vampire all day. So that's a whole other story. All right. Kitty, why don't you read what Ben has to say about Fantasy Flight? All right. So Ben says, as much as I enjoyed your last episode on Fantasy Flight Games, there was a point with which I, as an Englishman, took umbrage. Kitty was right when she said that we English drop syllables all over the place. I could not navigate the tube because of it. (laughs) (laughs) For such a small country, we have hundreds of different accents and ways of saying the same words. However, I feel that dropping syllables wherever we like is actually an accidental way of giving our speech greater expressiveness. Take, for example, probably. It's not a feature. It's not a bug. It's a feature. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. Take, for example, probably. I Like, reading this is going to be awful because there's a lot of <laughs> phonetically spelled. This is why I gave this to you because it's going to be awesome. <laughs> many, English will, yeah, many English people will say, probably. Because let's face it, that middle syllable is slowing us down. This expedience means that when we want to emphasize a word, we can do it with great gusto. Like so. Will the train arrive on time? Probably not. No, no, you put the, sil- the syllable in there. It's probably not. You you did it the American way. He did it the... It's, I read it as spelled. Chris. Probably. Oh my goodness. B-A-B. I'm pretty sure. For our listeners, it's spelled P R O B A A A A B L Y Y Y Y Y. Yeah. Whereas when he spelled probably, there was no A in there. Yeah. He put in the extra syllable and emphasized it. As a famously unexpressive nation, this linguistic flexibility (laughs) allows us to express the drama of our statements in a more subtle way. This is the visual representation of Chris's head exploding. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ben, I know what you were trying to type, I think. No, I think I I think you typed it correctly. (laughs) I think I read better than you. Anyway, he goes on. On a more serious note, I did actually want to speak up in defense of Descent 2. Chris said there wasn't really any point in getting it, but I bought it this year as my first and only dungeon crawl, and I love it. Sure, it may not be the most innovative in the genre anymore, but for its price, you get a lot of content, some great miniatures, decent app integration for solo play, and a rule set that is actually pretty intuitive once you get your head around the rulebook. I mostly play it solo and absolutely love doing so. The first few times I played it, was one versus many style, and I really enjoyed that. It is a game that is packed full of theme and drama, and I would happily pull it out whenever I'm in a group full of high fantasy fans. So, I would say, Ben, you bought this before you listened to me saying you don't need to buy it. <laughs> but I will agree that if you don't have any other dungeon crawler, this is a fine game, and many, many, many people love it. Many, many people have spent. I don't. I think you can spend thousands of dollars on all of the expansions if you get everything for this. Um, the fact that the app can run you through it and you can play it solo—that's awesome. Um, so yeah, I don't want to dis dissent. It's the only thing I was trying to say is if you haven't already invested in any of the dungeon crawls, this is one where you might want to. You can look at other ones because there's more modern ones that kind of do the same thing, but with more story or more character development or whatever but yeah just do your do your research on which one feels right for you all right jason adds he says i want to add that besides christian peterson there is another talented designer at ffg Corey. i should have made kitty read this one too um i'm gonna go with kanitska um, or just Corey from this point on. <laughs> he was either designer or has been a part of the design team of most FFG games. My experience in this hobby has been and continues to be influenced by FFG. My first big game purchase was StarCraft the board game. That's how I learned of the term coffin box, which we didn't actually mention. I meant to mention this when we were talking about FFG, about the coffin boxes. And it's... Y- you guys ever heard this term? No. Nope. So, 
a, a good equivalent it would be that Kingdom Death Monster comes in a coffin box. Essentially, a box big enough that you could use as a coffin if you wanted to. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Twilight Imperium was also the same thing. So when Twilight Imperium first came out, it came out in these in this huge box. Fourth edition, the box is a little bit smaller, not much smaller, but a little bit smaller. Um, but yeah, FFG had a habit of putting a lot of stuff in really, really big boxes. Um, Caleb added that Corey recently did an interview on the Thoughtful Gamer podcast, which I haven't listened to, but I'm going to go track that one down because I'd be interested in hearing it. And Eric wanted to mention that Nikki Valens uh, works on a lot of the Arkham Horror stuff, as well as she did uh, the Legacy of Dragonhold. Nikki does a lot of the story stuff at FFG, so um, that's pretty cool. And then... I don't know who sent this in, but someone did, and I remember reading it, but I couldn't find it when I was doing the notes for this. Someone mentioned that I completely glossed over Star Wars Destiny when we were talking about Fantasy Flight, which is true. Um, Star Wars Destiny is a pretty active game right now. Um, If you're unfamiliar with it, it is a trading card game with dice, but not like Dice Masters. So if you ever played Dice Masters, Dice Masters is you pick a card and then you put a bunch of dice together. Star Wars Destiny is you build a deck and some of the cards in that deck will require that you have dice with them. So when you play those cards, you're going to roll a die and then the face of the die will tell you what abilities you can use from the card. It is a deck building game. It's um, all of the different things that Fantasy Flight does to support their organized play and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I that was a complete oversight by me. I've played the game once. I bought a starter and a, a booster box. And I'm like, I can't get into this. There's just no way I can get into another collectible game. And I sold all my stuff and walked away and washed my hands of it. So that's why it slipped my mind. <laughs> um, nobody commented anything on cool mini or not someone did mention that besides you know they hadn't really thought about kumuli and not having other things and like they didn't realize that they did things like gizmos and smaller games um but otherwise yeah we didn't really have any questions on cool mini or not did we miss anything on that one or did we just really really good with that episode i think everyone just knows cool mini or not (laughs) there's there's not as much like exciting stuff to get into they're very um what you see is what you get everyone kind of knows what they're up to yeah well and that's kind of the thing i think kumi or not one of their biggest issues is they're known for all of these miniatures so they are the game company known that if, if you're going to get a simon game you're going to get a game with a ton of miniatures and it's going to be super complicated or just a lot of plastic or maybe expensive and they're smaller games you never really hear about like railroad inc doesn't feel like a cool mini or not game and and, you know it's a roll and write and it's super super simple but it's also a really good game but you would never kind of associate those two things together so i i get where they have the preconceived notion behind them all right and then we talked about stonemeyer and the first thing I have to note is, <laughs> I think this was this was last week's episode, right? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to blame Timothy. Timothy read the credits <laughs> in our Stonemeyer episode. And so it's, it's only part his fault. Timothy, thanks for the credits. But <laughs> what happened was, when I pulled the audio into Audacity, Audacity, I pulled in his file first, which was not a high-quality file because he was trying to email it and keep the, the size down. And Audacity had changed all the settings for export to the same quality as the first file that I imported. So when I put in our audio, while I was editing it, it sounded totally fine. But when I exported it from Audacity, it turned it into like, I don't know, some crazy low bitrate. And I could not figure out why that was happening. I was like, oh, maybe it's just my imagination. It's like one o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, no, no, no. Maybe it's just my imagination. Or my headphones are going bad or whatever. And then this in the morning, I had multiple people texting me. He's like, what happened with the audio? This doesn't, doesn't really <laughs> sound all that good. So I went back and re-edited it and then put up a new version by like the Tuesday, probably one o'clock in the afternoon. So if you, there was at least one person Becky, who said, I couldn't listen to the episode. I had to delete it. So I'm like, okay, okay, I'll get you a better quality audio. (laughs) (laughs) 
So there's a sample size of one, but if other people is like, no, I can't listen to it, you can go back. The audio is fixed and it sounds like our normal audio quality. All right, Fletcher, you want to talk about what Christopher had to say? Stonemeyer has long fascinated fascinated me. I like their games, at least the ones that I've played. But I have really enjoyed watching the evolution of the company. In my mind, Stonemeyer exemplifies the incredible risk and rewards that come with making the owner so prominent a face of the company. It's a struggle. It's a struggle, though, for the customer. Jamie? Is that right? Jamie Mm -hmm. is a very... is very successful at playing the hype song. This seems to cause many people to see him only in his games. They love Jamie, so they love Scythe and Viticulture and everything else that Jamie could release. Or they hate Jamie and his sheeple and can't look past to see a good game. So I think this might be true for some people. But Fletcher... Before last week... Who's Jamie? Am I saying this Exactly. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you did like Scythe. And I do. Uh, yeah. I like Scythe. Yep. So I think that there is something here, though. So if you are following the industry and following companies, then sometimes the faces of the companies or the owners of the companies, they tend to be larger than life. Um and you can judge people by the person themselves. So I don't know if this is a fair comparison. No, this is a fair comparison. So Eric Lang. A lot of people hear Eric Lang and they're like, I love his games. I will buy anything he does because I love his games. And a lot of people hear Eric Lang and it's like, I hate his games. It's all just Ameritrash and, you know, there's just it's just dice chucking and miniatures. Like, there's no creativity there. Both sides are wrong. Like, some of Eric's games are great. Some of them aren't. Um, they're not all the same. They're not for everybody. And But when you start pinning it to this designer does this, and to be fair, a lot of designers are just this designer does this, um, it can be hard to look past the designer to something great that they did. Jamie can be polarizing in some cases where he doesn't tolerate... He doesn't tolerate people saying what he believes to be false about his company or himself, which is fine. Like he stands up for himself, but that can come across bad. And it's just a, it's a hard situation. So the more you follow the company and the more you read his blog, the more you get to know him, you know that, you know, he's trying to do the best he can. He's not trying to be like, I am better than everyone else. He doesn't believe that at all. He's actually quite humble. Um, But you can see where it's like, if you get a bad taste in your mouth, it's like, nope, I don't like Jamie Stone- Stonemeyer. So anything Stegmeyer, Jamie Stegmeyer. So I don't like anything Stonemeyer <laughs> does. So, you know, his most successful game is Wingspan, and that wasn't even his design. He just published it. So, um, I mean, he helped develop it as well, of course. But so, yeah, he's he's just trying to do what he can do for a one man publishing shop, really. So I like him. You guys, any comments on Stonemeyer? Nope. <laughs> you we talked about hosts. it for a full episode last week. <laughs> All right. We're going to go back in time a little bit. We have, yeah, a few of Q these are music. <laughs> people, <laughs> people agreeing with Fletcher and Kitty. So All right, we'll get there in a second. Um, but I did. <laughs> Rachel sent us an email. He said she sent us an entry to Tapestry. And she and I, I'm pretty sure she met this tongue in cheek, but she did mention that even though the patrons always win, I'm still entering. All right, but I did want to touch on this because just in case people are following along, a lot of times when we're running a contest, um, a patron does win, and there are it's not all the time. I I have them in the show notes, but I couldn't possibly go back and tell you how many times or not. But the reason that is is because when we do contests, the patrons get a number of entries equal to the level of their pledge, and the emails are a single entry. Um, And then oftentimes I'll do something else so that if you're emailing us, you can do multiple entries. The reason I do the email entries is because I don't want anyone to have to give us money to enter the contest, but I want everyone to be able to enter. Um, You know, doing the credits for 10 extra entries that, you know, honestly, I would say about a third of our entries were from emails and credits. But a lot of those emails of people reading the credits 
are also patrons. Yes. We just get a lot of engagement from our patrons. Yeah. So you're going to hear their names more often. But what I do is I put all of our patrons in a spreadsheet and they get a number of entries equal to their level. And then all of the email addresses that came in go into the spreadsheet and that's one per. And then if they did, in this case, if they did credits, then it was 10 per. And it totals up a number of entries. And then I just have Google generate a random number and I go down until that name is hit. So in this case, I think there was probably about maybe a two thirds chance that a patron was going to win. Um, again, because of the email entries or the the credits. But um, but yeah, it's not rigged. Our, we love our patrons, but we also love our listeners, all of them. So we try to keep it as fair as possible, just to put everyone's minds at ease. And I think we did one, our last contest, there was a non-patron version. So you only, you were only entered if you sent us a story. And those yeah. were the only people that had a chance of winning. And then we did another one, a separate drawing for the patrons. Mm-hmm. But so. then again, many patrons also sent us a story. Right. So yeah. they were entered in both of them. So yeah, it's not just that, you know, we're playing favorites. It's that our patrons are super awesome. Yeah. Our, patrons <laughs> are awesome. our listeners are awesome, too. Our listeners if are I great. Could... Anyone who emails us is great. Yeah. If you don't email us, you're terrible. Awful. No lurkers allowed. <laughs> Just kidding. I am a lurker on every podcast I listen to. I don't engage. (laughs) Yeah. And and that is entirely fine, too. Like, honestly, I would say 90 to 95% of the people will have never emailed us or engaged. Um, And that's just the way it works, right? And that's totally fine. Uh, But the contests and the giveaways are just a way for us to engage with you. And if I could just say, hey, randomly, one of you who downloads the podcast is going to win a gift card, I would do that. But podcast technology is not quite to that level yet not until i make the tabletop gaming talk app in which case if you listen through the app then i could figure it out but i would say there's even less people listening through the app yeah because yeah npr has an app i was gonna say (laughs) yeah (laughs) ask npr how well that works yeah. I mean, but for them, and the reason, if you ever wonder, just a kind of a peek behind the podcast scenes, the reason that NPR has a podcast is because we don't get any information on how people are listening. We know where they downloaded to, but we don't know if they listened to it or not. We just know it was downloaded. We don't know where they stopped. We don't know what they skipped. We don't have any of that information. But if you listen to it through like an NPR app, or I think Radiolab has an app and those types of things, they can track all of that. They know if you're skipping the commercials. They know if you were bored and fast-forwarded through one spot or not. They know if you're listening to it on, you know, higher speeds. And even just a small sample size of like, you know, 3 to 5% is enough to give them enough information to say, okay, we can use this to change things so that the audience likes it better. So that's why the there's where those custom podcasting apps exist and why they exist. All right. Um, I think I'm going to have you guys switch because the first one agrees with Fletcher. The second one agrees with Kitty. So, Kitty, you read the first one and then Fletcher, you can read the second one. I think you should read them both. (laughs) I don't want to read either of them. Chris loves it when we're right. So, Miles wrote in to agree with Fletcher. For your episode 157, the discussion about reviewers being paid by the game producer, I have to side with Fletcher. Though I understand where you are coming from with the money needs to come from somewhere and the production value goes up with it, I always value the review of a reviewer that has been directly paid by the producer or manufacturer of the game less than a completely independent. Though you may say that people will stop watching them if they are dishonest, there are different levels. A person may gloss over areas of the game that are less desirable to make a favorable outcome for the game. It may not be as bad as coming out and saying that Cards Against Humanity is the greatest thing since sliced bread, but it may be something more subtle, like Castles of Burgundy is a great gateway game. If somebody said that, I would stop watching them immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not saying that if I had the choice of two reviewers, one that was getting paid by the publisher and one that wasn't, that I wouldn't take the one who wasn't a little bit more like they're I would trust that they were critiquing the game in a more honest way, potentially. Um, but I still may not watch that one if the production values are bad or, 
you know, whatever, usually production values and, you know, just the quality of the Audio review. Audio quality, especially. Yeah. Yeah, and if it's if it's harder to get through or just not as good a review in general doesn't show me as much as the game, I may still not watch it. I may still prefer the one that's a paid one because they are showing me what I need to make my own decision of the game. Um, but it's it's all things being equal, right? Sure. Which one would you prefer? Yes. So right now, this is a good example of Watch It Played. You guys have both seen Watch It Played, right? Rodney Smith basically so? going through. Now, it, this is a little different, but he basically is video rule books. And at the beginning, he would do whatever he felt like doing. He would just, you know, I want to do this one or that one. And now almost everything he does is paid. They pay him to do it. The difference there and... I'll point it out myself is he doesn't actually tell you whether or not he likes the game or not. He just shows you how to play it. But the quality of his run throughs are fantastic. If I watch something he's doing, I can tell you whether or not I want to watch that. So if a reviewer does that same thing, even if they have a summary at the end saying, and I really, really love this game. It's the most amazing thing ever. If I'm watching them show me how to play the game and they're getting paid by the publisher, as long as that is there, I'm still okay with that review because I've gotten the information I need on how to play it and whether or not I'd want to play it. Versus the tinny guy who talks through a tin can and I can't stand listening to him and it's one camera that's out of focus the entire time. That's not a very good review. Just a thought. All right. Cool. Your turn, Fletcher. <clears throat> Let's hear about how right I am. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Van Dam agrees with Kitty. I decided to write in write in response to something Chris said on the most recent podcast. The comment about the distinction between a broken promise and a lie seems to be a bit of equivocation in this instance in this instance. He seems to be arguing in one sense that it is common practice to meet demand by companies and that if demand is great enough, then regardless of previous promises, games, expansions, etc will be produced. Given this common practice, it would be impossible for a company or person to make a statement about exclusivity in good faith. Any such statement uh, would be at least in part deceptive if that reality were not also communicated. So in fact, it would be a deceptive promise and therefore a lie. Kitty was right on this one. I don't have a problem with game companies making whatever they want or choosing not to. But deceptive practices and lying to people is something that shouldn't be excused as good business practice. I also think you dismissed the repercussions to this too quickly, as social media firestorms for far less have seriously hurt companies and people. Yes. I mean, you agreed with me. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, sort of. But yes. Everyone's lying all the time. I agree with that. See, before you were saying it's not lies. They're just broken promises. It wasn't a lie because they meant it when they said it. I don't know. Like I say, I think a company needs to stay in business. So sometimes they need to break those promises. But, I mean, I can't say that if I say that sometimes a company needs to do what's good for the business versus keeping a promise they made earlier to a small number of people, like, I still believe that's true. But, yes, this is this is absolutely true, that if that is how I feel, then everybody, nobody can make promises in good faith. Because if their business is going to go out of business, if they keep that promise, they're not going to keep the promise, right? Yeah. So the social media repercussions are a real thing, too. And that is something that's weighed along with all of this. Um, but uh, just like anything, the number of people on social media versus the number of people that are actually buying the product and not following social media at all. You know, again, how many people know Jamie St uh, Stegmeier? a tiny fraction of the people who actually play his games. So it, there is a balance there and there is a risk there. Um, 
but yeah, and, and really what I'm seeing now is people aren't making promises anymore. I see very few Kickstarter exclusives, far less than I saw two years ago. I see a lot more. It's it's not, this is a Kickstarter exclusive. You can only get this on Kickstarter, but you see a lot of, we're not sure we're going to be able to bring this game to real publishing. So if you want it, now is your chance, kind of. Yep. And that seems much more honest to me. I'm much more likely to back something with that instead of, oh, if I don't back it now, I'll never be able to get this thing. So. Yeah. And and it's just one of those. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is don't promise absolutes. Don't say absolutes unless you're going to, unless you have every intention of following through. Sometimes I don't know. I don't even think intentions matter in this case. It's like, unless you know it makes financial sense for your company to make this promise, don't make that promise. Yeah. Well, the problem is sometimes it does make financial sense because it allows you to actually get your game out there in the first place by making something feel exclusive. So you just got to be careful. Publishers need to, it's a fine, fine line that they got to walk. And there is no. I understand both sides. I truly, truly do. Um, I can't get back into the Kickstarter argument again, though. So I have to. Oh, this is not a Kickstarter argument. I don't think. It, oh, this it leads me be, down though. the path towards, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's like bait. I can't help it. Well, Adrian <laughs> does. <laughs> well, Adrian does have a comment on the Kickstarter. Um, that She doesn't think that we covered in our publisher promises episode. She says, I don't think you covered the Kickstarter situation where the games are delayed and getting to the backers, but the publisher somehow has copies selling at cons or going into distribution for retail. People really get annoyed at that. Without getting upset, what are your thoughts on this? So <laughs> this, you've kickstarted the game. This is a different game, thing. And yeah, this now actually you go to Gen Con happened to me recently. Mm-hmm. What was it? Oh, now it's going to drive me crazy. But I backed a game, and the publisher received it, and then Gen Con happened, and they weren't able to ship out the copies before they went to Gen Con, but they brought a bunch of copies to Gen Con. And I saw it there, and I was like, oh, well, I got a shipping notification for my copy that it should be here, like, in two weeks, but here it is, and it is kind of irritating, but I totally understand why it happens. And why does it happen? Because they're not like when you back something on Kickstarter, I don't think you're getting a guarantee that you are going to be the first people to have this game. You are yeah. getting the like it was still um fulfilled in its promised time. I got it when I was supposed to get it, which doesn't always happen, you know. So I didn't really have a leg to stand on. I didn't I didn't back this game to be like, yes, I get to be the first person to have this game. I backed this game because I wanted the game. Yeah, it's just that feeling of like, had I known, I wouldn't have bothered backing it because I just would have picked it up and I would have gotten it sooner. I don't know. I probably still would have backed it, though, because the reason that I back Kickstarters, and this is going into the dangerous territory of arguing with Chris. Um, the reason I bet Kickstarters is because I believe in the game and I want to support the publishers to make it happen, not because I'm pre-ordering the game. Yeah. And I would say that the that feeling, if more people felt the way you feel, less people would be upset when they see these games at shows. So, Which is why they're breaking Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and I agree with you. I don't know the that sentiment of Kickstarter. That's what Kickstarter is supposed to be: is to support publishers by giving them money for a reward, not to pre-order and get a game first. Yeah, and and uh, I agree with all of that. Um, but I also I think the big thing that you said there is I have never seen a Kickstarter promise that you are going to get this before everyone else. I mean, maybe some have. But it's not a routine thing for no. certain. Um, I have gotten emails from publishers. This was a huge thing. Like three or four years ago, um, there was a number of big titles that released 
at a con like a month or so before any of the backers got it. So there's people all up in arms because no, 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 I back this. Nobody else should be getting this until I get my copy, blah, 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 type of thing. So I have gotten emails from Kickstarter um, like producers where they, they think, look, we have a booth at Gen Con. It's costing us thousands of dollars to have that booth. We can get the games there before we can get the games to you. If we don't do this, we're going to lose thousands of dollars. But we are only going to do this if the vast majority of our backers tell us it's okay. And in that case, the va- I don't know that anyone came back and said, no, you can't do this. You know, you should just lose the thousand dollars, bad timing on you, whatever. Um, but the reason they do this is because they don't have control over when the show is. And the crazy thing about board games is everyone's trying to get games made for Gen Con and for Essen. So it is really easy to get so close to that line where it's like people are air shipping games, which is crazy expensive just to have some games at the show. And yeah, you you have to let publishers do this or they're not going to be able to publish another game. Their their game's not going to get out there. It's not going to be successful. So I understand it. Um, I think that people have every right to be annoyed at it, but you know, check the check the Kickstarter. Did they really say that you were going to be the first one to get it and no one else was, or is that an assumption that you made and you're just upset because they didn't go by your assumption? I actually think this might have been Parks that it happened to me recently with. Oh, yeah, I bought that one off of Amazon. Yeah, after I got my copy, though. Maybe. Yeah. Or no, what did no you get I know for sure. Check my receipt. Okay. Because we talked about it on <laughs> right, Darius Tower News. Because you reported yep. it, and then you bought it immediately. I was like, I yep. already have it, because I backed it on Kickstarter. <laughs> Good. Good on them. And Parks is actually, in, I haven't played it yet, but it's a gorgeous game. Yeah. And it looks like a it'll be a fun little um, gateway game. But I do think it showed up at a convention before mine shipped it to me. But... I don't have a problem with that because I actually don't <laughs> buy a lot of games or go to many conventions. So, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. And really, I mean, there's so much time between the time that you back the Kickstarter and you get the game. Well, this is a me problem. I have no idea when to expect any game I back on Kickstarter <laughs> because I can't possibly track a ball, right? Every once in a while, yes, you I'll can. go... Th- <laughs> well, I can, but every once in a while I'll go through the list and be like, oh, this one hasn't shown up yet. Then I'll go check the comments to see what's going on. But I don't sit there and like watch the campaign for, okay, when's it going to show up? When's it going to show up? But I do know that most people do. Most people are only backing one or two Kickstarters a year. So you can track that every which way. And that constant tracking, I think, builds the builds the excitement, but also can build the animosity if you see someone else getting something that you really want and you haven't gotten it yet. Speaking of which, Don reminded me, because we were talking about Unbroken, and I couldn't remember what the Unbroken, what Broken Promise Unbroken did. Um, (laughs) But Unbroken was an example of bad forecasting. He says, bad shipping estimates, but as a Kickstarter project, those are inherent risks. Um, Missing a target on Kickstarter project is not a broken promise. I agree with you, Don, Um, because it is not a promise, it's an estimate. But the Unbroken story is interesting uh, because what they did is like, we grossly underestimated shipping. It's going to cost us everything we have plus more in order to ship this game out. So if you would like to voluntarily cover the shipping for your product, here is where you can send an extra $10. That's a message they sent out to all of their backers and is a slip inside of the unbroken package. Um, so, yeah, sometimes that happens. And I don't know what the percentage was of people who paid the extra shipping. I would guess relatively small. But, you know, sometimes companies mess up and they go back to their backers and say, hey, we messed up. If you can help us out, great. But it's not a requirement. We're still going to do everything we can to fulfill it. And even though they had some probably pretty bad PR in that process, um, I think the way they handled it was the best they could for what they were trying to do. All right, our last game or topic that we are going to talk about, playing games for money. Um, let's see, Fletcher, you haven't talked for a while. Adrian has another question for us. Adrian on playing games for money. 
So is anything happening with the guy who didn't shuffle his deck in the Keyforge finals of the Vault Tour? Is he allowed to play in other tournaments? Is anyone watching him like a hawk? So I think I mentioned this. I don't know if I was on air when I mentioned this. Did we talk about this? We did. Okay. Um, Otherwise, how would he know? Um, well, Adrian's a girl, but or how she, would she know? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe she follows Keyforge too. Um, I would say let's have a follow up. Feedback. <laughs> so there are Fantasy Flight has community managers, and they have ban lists for all of their games. Um, it's actually it's just one ban list for everything they do. So it's just a single ban list. Um. If you're caught cheating in any of their tournaments, then you will be put on the ban list for a certain amount of time. There is one person on this list that is permanently banned. So they're gone forever. Um, Not allowed to play in any competitive FFG games. Uh, This was caught on camera of them, like, actually trying to replace a dial in X-Wing. So he's, like, palming a dial, putting a different one, which is how you determine... You you both secretly put your maneuvers, and then you execute them. And he changed his after he saw what his opponent was. So that guy he can't play anymore. For the Keyforge one specifically, uh, Alex, who is the Community Organized Play Manager, I believe is his title, did an interview on this, and... What he said is, we are investigating this. We take all of these things seriously. We will not make any announcements when we make our ruling. We're not. We don't make a big deal out of these things. We are looking at it, but that's as much as we will say. We are not going to tell you how long it's going to take or what we're doing. Um, if he ends up on the ban list, that'll that'll happen. People will notice it. Um, as of today, he is not on the ban list that I know of, and he has not had his... Um, shards which is what you win in keyforge vault tours taken away uh we also don't know whether or not the investigation is done we don't know anything about it um really their their thing is this it is an investigation and it's really easy for me social media to like condemn someone just because they're being investigated and if they came out and said hey you know it was an accident we think it was an accident and that's that then social media goes up in arms about that. If they come out and say, yeah, no, we're banning them because, you know, this, it, even if it was an accident, it doesn't matter. It was really blatant. Honestly, social media is going to be up in arms about that too. Or at the very least, this guy is going to get less like shamed infinitely, right? And maybe it was an accident because you don't really know. So they just, they're not going to make any kind of announcement. When it happens, the community is going to like say, oh, okay, look, this happened, something bad happened to him. But if nothing bad happens to him, people just forget. Because it just goes well, away. People will mostly forget, but the people who play against him, I think, will always have that in their mind. Well, Because I know there was one person who was brought to my attention for doing something shady. And... I know who it is, and if I play that person, I know I'm going to be super watching everything they do. Yep. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is um, I don't know that he played in the most recent Vault Tour. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't know I would know him in person. Um, but if I did play him, I would, I would be, you know, hyper yeah. aware of everything. As soon as you see him pick up, oh, I shuffled that. Uh, sorry, you reshuffled. Can I have those back? Yep. You just watch for those moments, you know? And when you're playing competitively like this, that's it's your job as the opponent to make sure you're on top of this kind of thing. Yep. But, I mean, at the same time, mistakes really do happen. They do. And, and if we- he says, like, oh, sorry, yeah, here you go, and you reshuffle the cards, no big deal. That's all that needed to happen. But if he yep. starts doing, well, no, you shuffled oh, yeah, already. Of course. Then, yeah. judge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just have to be careful with the social convictions because social media is really good at convicting people for yeah. just really anything, and it's and you don't know the whole fair. story. No, yeah. and yeah. and we shouldn't jump to shouting conclusions at the top of our lungs on the internet. 
So just trying to be fair, but I get it. I understand why FFG is doing it um, and why they handle the investigations the way they do. Um, I actually commend them for it because, you know, it's it would be easier for them to come out and say, yep, we're banning them for a year or whatever. And everyone was like, oh, that's ha ha ha. You know, but it's not it's just not right. It's not right to shame someone to that yeah. level. So it's the one person the has a permanent ban about. Yeah. The one person who has a permanent ban, there is no way it was an accident. That's why he's permanently banned because he, he cheated. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't something that could be construed as a mistake. It was a blatant non-accidental. Oops. I accidentally had a dial with the other move in my hand that I just happened to swap the one that was on the table with. Don't know how that happened. That's irrefutable. Yeah. What he did here. There's actually a good explanation. So mm-hmm. I was just being right. thoughtless. Oops. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, one more. Kitty, what does Steve have to say? Steve is also talking about playing games for money. Personally, I have always felt that the point of a game is to have fun. You have fun by trying to win. But the purpose is to have fun. So as soon as you add another prize, whether it is money or swag or just notoriety, then you are no longer playing for fun. You're playing for the prize. What do you guys think about this one? A prize can be fun. Yeah. Maybe we're just selfish, selfish people. (laughs) Like, I want the things, but I don't know. I think it's I think it's fun to play for a prize. I agree. Like I you can still have it sounds like kind of what they're saying is like you're either playing for fun or you're playing for for a prize. You can you can do both. Yeah, Yeah, I wouldn't exclude the other i wouldn't play for a prize if i wasn't having fun if i wanted to do that i could play competitive magic you know (laughs) 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 i i don't i don't play any game that offers a prize a game i play games that i have fun with and it's like a bonus if they offer a prize that's and i think it's more fun when you get exclusive stuff like i I mean, I wouldn't not play in a Keyforge tournament for money, but I'm much more likely to play for a playmat or for shards so I can get the Vault Tour pin because I have to have the pin in all the Vault Tours I play with and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think the the easiest way to think about this, um, and, and in certain ways I agree with Steve depending on the intentions, but let's think about it in a sports as a sports metaphor. When you're playing high school basketball, and you have a good record. Every game you play, you're playing to win. And you're presumably playing the game to have fun. If you're not, then why you're doing it, right? And mm-hmm. My friends want me to. Whatever. Most of the people are on the court. They like playing the game. And winning is a big deal. And if you get into the finals, and there's a trophy at the end, you're playing for that trophy. And when you lose in the finals, you're disappointed. You're upset. And that extra level of... I don't know if it's pressure or incentive or whatever it is. Both. That actually kind of, well, it, it heightens your play of the game. I play the best Keyforge when I'm in these hyper-competitive tournaments. And and actually, Vultures aren't hyper-competitive. Was it just say competitive tournaments? <laughs> That's when I'm playing my best game. That's when I am most focused. That's when I'm not thinking that I can take turns back or refiddle things and say, oh, I, want, I meant to play this card first. Those things are not a part of my play in these types of tournaments. And that is fun, too. It's just a different kind of... It's a different level of fun. It's exhausting. It's mentally taxing. And I don't know... At the end of the day, I'm just like, I went three and three. I had a good time. My deck wasn't that great. But, you know, I met some cool people. And every game I felt, you know, I felt that adrenaline rush of you know this I, I can do this i can pull this off now i will say talking keyforge um and and this regarding this specifically sunday we did a type of keyforge i've always wanted to do and i got the organizers to do a, a one-off of this and they're actually going to pick this up for future ones and make it official which is a sealed reversal you open one deck and you give that deck to your opponent and that Every time you play, your opponent is the one playing the deck that you opened. We started out with five people. We're like, if we can get one more, then we can run it. We ended up having 14 people. 
And there was so much like smiles and laughing and just having a great time. Because if you were getting beat, it you meant you opened deck. a great deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if and if you were winning, it meant you had a terrible deck, but you were still winning. And somehow that just balanced it's out. It's fun. Yeah. It just balanced it out in such a way where everyone was having such a great time. Oftentimes in these tournaments, when you start losing, people will drop. 14 people, not a single person dropped. Really? Everyone stayed for the full thing. Wow. Yep. Like, it was just fun to play. So, there are ways of playing competitively, but taking out that pressure. Um, different games will do that in different ways. But, um, but yeah, I don't think you have to... I, think, I don't think a prize makes it so you're playing for the prize. But if you're not having fun because you're playing for a prize, then don't play in those tournaments. Yeah. That, that, I will say, is probably a bad thing. Because you're going to get really salty and not like it so much. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. Thank you for your feedback. Uh, like I say, we, Adrian, keep the thread starting. Um, I, I do read them, I promise. I just am not actively uh, creating input threads anymore just because it was so time-consuming to get all the input together. A lot of this is just time-based more than anything else. Um, we really do like the input. We love feedback. We also have to I, I, come up with a topic more than two hours before we record. Chris? Um, <laughs> I, based on going through a bunch of emails and stuff, I have topics out for the next three episodes, and the notes are already done for them. So, Whoa! Yep. And all of those topics were suggested from listeners. So if you have topics, go ahead and email us. Feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Yeah, we um, use them a lot. <laughs> yep. Sometimes I may say, yeah, episode this or that. We talked about this. Other times I will twist it to something that I can make a new topic. So um, I will say next week we are going to be talking about um, game mechanisms. So essentially, when we talk about deck building and hand management and area control, what do all those terms mean? Now, way back in episode 76, we did a very similar episode on game vocabulary, which is a little bit more broad, but not as um, not not as just it wasn't just focused on mechanisms. So those types of things. And we'll mention the episodes and stuff again next week, too. But that kind of stuff, that's a great suggestion. Um and yeah, so send us your topic suggestions, send us your feedback, send us everything. We read it, and eventually we may even use it on the air. Send us money. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com. <laughs> All right. Uh, we don't have a contest going on right now. I do have a game I need to give away, so I might be doing something surprising in the oh. near future. But for, for now, I don't. Um well, I was going to do like a random, like a surprise Patreon giveaway and just give someone on our Patreon list a, a game. But now I feel guilty. Thanks, Rachel. Yeah, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for making Chris feel guilty because now he'll be more now, giving more people chances. Everyone gets a third everyone. chance, Chris. Yeah. Every listener gets a $10 gift card. No, Yikes. that was. No, no. <laughs> That's a bad idea. Well, and that, that was the end of our podcast because we could no longer <laughs> afford hosting fees <laughs> <laughs> or rent. Okay, let's see. You can follow us on Facebook at slash tabletop game talk podcast, Twitter at tabletop game TLK. Kitty is lawful good mom. Fletcher is net Fletch. I am game master Chris. You can give us money so I can give you money at tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Finally, we are going to get credits from Eric. So, Finally, a huge thank you to all our patrons. Adam Harrison, the SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Mittler, Stephen Seitz, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Hamowitz, Jerry Hong, Stefan where our thou brother, we miss him, Phillips, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Kustra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, me, Adrian Dong, Nate, Faz Flitzum, Sean Peck, Eric Sealander. Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Verning, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, 
Jesse Walkalviak, Emil Jewel Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Brady Meltzer, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Lene Verhulst, Christopher Ledke, Ledko, John Lewis, Joe Ragsta, Ron Nelson, Neil McLaughlin, Sarah Wentworth, Weatherman Keefe, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Toth, and Paul Raymer. Thank you for listening. Also, Jimothy and Matthew Droke. Keep playing games. Have it fun. I forget we have outro music until the people start singing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you guys never listen to the episodes after I edit them. It's too weird. I try to participate in the conversation, but then I say the thing that I'm thinking and it's too freaky. Fletcher, have you ever listened to an episode? Yes. All right. Since you've been on? <laughs> that I've been on? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair.